All right, I have been working now at the story for about five months. What I've been doing is obviously planning out our second campus, but as well, I'm overseeing our groups and our discipleship teams. And it is still surreal to me how I ended up here. I went from having essentially my dream job in the finance world. I worked there for about nine years. And what happened was I finally got comfortable with that being my career until I retired. My wife and I, what we did was we planned out our future. We mapped out our life. But what we were doing is we were telling each other where we were going. We were also telling God where we were going. We were going to take him along with us. right? We were going to follow Jesus, but we just didn't want that much input from him. We knew what we wanted to do, but we just didn't take the time to ask exactly what Jesus wanted from us. Don't get me wrong. We were serving this church that we love. We were following Jesus as faithfully as we could. My wife and I, we even created a mission statement before we got married. So we had a mission statement, and it was pretty simple. It was to love and obey God and to serve others in the love of Jesus, <clears throat> and we prayed that, right? We asked God for opportunities to serve him more, and what did he do, right? He kicked open this door for me to become a pastor, for my wife to become a next-gen children's director, but I thought God was confused. But I was like, no, 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 God, I said voluntarily serve you, Right? I said, no, 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 God, I just wanted to fit you into this already perfect planned life that we had. But God picked us up off the path that we were on, and he put us on a new one. We went from having everything figured out. We went from being really comfortable to God calling us into something completely different than we imagined. We went from my wife, she was going to retire. She was a kindergarten teacher. She was going to retire to working full-time. We went from buying those really expensive brand name diapers, you know what I'm talking about, to the knockoffs from Mexico. <laughs> I give you my word, we have those at the house still. But here's the deal. Faithfully walking down the path that Jesus has for us will always be better than any other path that we could go down. It reminds me of the risks that were taken to start the story. Eric and Gio... They uprooted their lives from Kansas City and moved down to Houston. We had leaders step up who were going to help this new church, right, in an old gym with just one vision. We had one vision, and it was our mission statement, and that's to inspire non-religious Houstonians to follow Jesus. And the sacrifices that people made, it paid off because people's lives have been changed. And chances are that your lives have as well. This opportunity, this multiplication to a second campus, it's risky, but it's worth it. And it will change lives because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And again, it has very little to do with us. So how does this little church, growing from a team of about 25 people in a room to an old gym, 
to this building multiply to a second campus because that's not supposed to happen. That wasn't the path that we were supposed to be on. But when the reality of the gospel of Jesus, when it transforms people's lives, nothing and no one can stop it. And I've seen that so clearly in my own life. And listen, God's path and his plan is often much different than our own. We see it in the book of Acts. We've been studying these first eight chapters of the book of Acts, and we see it here at the story. God wants to multiply his people. God wants to multiply the gospel. And we as a church, we are stepping into that. We're not running away from it. We're stepping into that knowing that it's going to be a little risky, that it's going to be a little painful. It might hurt some people's feelings. It's not going to be easy. But if we as a church want to be about taking Jesus and the Bible seriously, what else can we do? And hey, guess what? You are invited to play. How boring is the Christian life if you're not playing in it? The church, we don't exist to serve passive consumers. We exist to equip disciples. So join us. We're not asking you to risk your lives like the apostles in Acts. We're just asking you to seek something greater with us. So today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and it's the last of our series of Keeping Jesus Weird. But before we dive in, the last time we heard about this guy named Saul of Tarsus, what was he doing? He was overseeing the stoning of Jesus. I'm sorry, the stoning of Stephen, right? <laughs> oh, he was kicking open doors, right? He was dragging people into the streets. He was shaming people in Jerusalem in order to crush and to stop this thing called Christianity. And that leads us right into this chapter. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We are going to be in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. If not, the text will be on the screen behind me. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Hang on. Did you hear that? He was breathing out murderous threats. It was in his core. It was second nature to him. He went to bed dreaming about this. He woke up worrying about this. This was his identity. It was the poisonous breath in his lungs. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, now this is what they called the early Jesus followers, it's what they called the early Christians, and it stemmed from Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul was not content with just persecuting the Jesus followers in Jerusalem. He wanted to go 150 miles to Damascus, and he wanted to crush the spread of Christianity there. Before we go any further, though, I want to ask a question. Who was Saul of Tarsus? Who was this guy who's responsible for writing half the book's of the New Testament. First, on the name front, Saul of Tarsus is the Apostle Paul. Same guy. Saul is the Jewish pronunciation 
of his name. Paul is the Greek pronunciation of his name. God didn't change his name. Saul was born in Tarsus, obviously, in Cilicia, and he was born about 10 years after Jesus. He was born into this deeply religious, this deeply devout Jewish family. His father was a Pharisee. Pharisees were the guys who were the most religious guys that were out there. So naturally, he was going to become a Pharisee. And when he was a kid, his parents essentially sent him off to boarding school. So they sent him off to Jerusalem under the teaching of this rabbi named Gamaliel. And this guy was the most respected rabbi in the known world. So it would be like if you sent your kids off to boarding school to the most prestigious school, to the best school in the nation under the best teaching and under the best teacher. Saul was thoroughly trained in everything about the law of his ancestors. He was memorizing his Bible, which was the Torah, and he was excelling in his studies. He was a rising star, right? He was the guy that when he was really young was tabbed to be the CEO one day. You know who Saul is? We have modern examples. Saul's uh, Jeff Bezos, right? Mark Zuckerberg, that was who he was. He was the guy who listens to every single leadership podcast he can get his hands on. He was the guy who reads every book he can get his hands on and then shames you for not reading enough. Y'all know who he is? He's the guy who all over his Instagram feeds, like I sold a billion insurance policies. He graduated college at 19, right? Has 100 million hits on his YouTube channel. Never sleeps. That was the guy. That was who Saul was. Here's what he says about himself. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. His entire identity, his authority, his life, his job, his reputation, everything hinged on this zealousness. Saul was zealous about not letting any outsiders into the Jewish faith. Why? Because he thought they would corrupt them. So why was he so threatened by the Christians? Because it completely upended his entire faith, what he built his entire life believing. Christians, they were saying that you only need faith to have salvation. That's heresy. Christians, they were saying that you should worship Jesus, or even worse, that Jesus is God. That's blasphemy. They should be killed. His entire life's mission came into focus when he was persecuting Jesus' followers. This was his chance to become somebody. This was his chance to make a name for himself. This was his chance to prove to God that he was worthy. Do you see this zealous loyalty that Saul had? But Saul genuinely thought, he genuinely felt that he was doing God's work. He was preventing his people from worshiping false gods. Hey, Paul wasn't ISIS. He just didn't know yet that Jesus is God until something happens. So Saul is traveling this 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he's going to go wrangle up some Christians. So what happened on the road to Damascus? This is going to be verses 3 through 8. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
He said, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Jesus reveals himself suddenly, shockingly, disruptively, breaking in on an unready person and an unready life. When you least expect him, God interrupts you. But here's the thing with Saul's encounter with Jesus. This experience was the same, was the exact thing that he had dreamed about, about meeting God. This was the thing that he had hoped for. But here's what Saul had to come to grips with, though. And it seems pretty simple, but if Jesus is alive, then Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah of Israel. If he is alive, then he is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. So that would mean that being a loyal Jew would actually mean being a loyal Christian. That would mean believing in Jesus and following Jesus. That would mean that his Bible, the Torah, was about Jesus. Genesis, Jesus. Exodus, Jesus. Leviticus, Jesus. That would mean that it wasn't about himself anymore. And that his zealousness for reconciliation was actually found in Jesus and not in himself or anything that he does. What freedom is that? However, do you see how it crushes everything that he believed in? Especially his mission and his identity? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever experienced Jesus in a way that he completely changes your identity or your mission. And you're just left saying, whoa, I'm just trying to go to church. I'm trying to feel better about myself, right? I'm not trying to change who I am. But Saul did not have a conversion. He had a transformation. Saul didn't convert to a different religion. He just became less religious. Do you see the difference? It's not about religion. It's about the reality of Jesus. It's not about making laws to follow them. It's about following Jesus. And he was transformed by the reality of Jesus. His religion didn't change. He did. His identity did. His mission did. So what is your mission? What is your identity? Is your mission to make a name for yourself? or to make the most money that you can, or find the best spouse that you can, or find the best job that you can, or to live in the best neighborhood that you can, or make the best grades that you can, or is your mission just to get everyone around you to like you? That is one of my biggest struggles. Look, I'm becoming a pastor whose job it is to help people love God. And so often, all I'm thinking about is if people like me. I'm in that season right now. I'm doing this job I've never done before. And I'm worried about my performance instead of people. 
I'm worried about how many people are going to go to the second campus. How backwards is that? Don't stake your life on a mission that will eventually leave you empty, that will eventually let you down. That's what Saul was doing until he met Jesus. If we make the mission statement of our lives about Jesus, he will always deliver on what he promises. Always. We're not converted to Christianity. We're transformed by the reality of Jesus. We're transformed into him. And why is this important? Because one of the most off-putting things to skeptics about Christians is that all we care about is converting them to a religion. It's like a notch in our belt. It's like a check mark. Or it's like, oh, hey, we got another um, convert. Let's go ahead and put that one in the catalog. Right? That's not the gospel of Jesus. Jesus called Saul by name twice and then challenges him and convicts him. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's how God works. He fully knows us. He fully loves us. And he wants us to know him. He doesn't leave us where we're at. He meets us where we're at. He met Saul on the road to Damascus, and he clearly revealed himself as Jesus. God's first order of business, it's confronting us and letting us know that we are fully known. And that's the good stuff, and that's the really ugly stuff. That's the beautiful part of our life, And that's the worst part of our lives. Trusting in him is us acknowledging that he knows every single thing about us. And that's scary. And what we're doing is we're willing to sit, we're willing to rest in this guilt and this shame because we know that we're forgiven. Can you imagine what Saul felt like, though? Can you imagine what he felt like? He oversaw countless executions of Christians. Can you imagine? And on top of that, he's now blind. He has no idea where his new path will lead. And then Jesus told him to get up and go. But where did he tell him to go to? Damascus. The exact same city that he was going But now he was entering that city with an entirely different mission and a completely different message. And instead of going there and sending a message about what to believe, he's going there with a message about who to believe. There's a difference there. And that always had the same starting point and it always had the same destination. And it was Jesus. The gospel isn't Jesus plus something. The gospel is Jesus. So how did Saul respond to the confrontation and the reality of Jesus? We're going to jump to 20, verse 22. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful 
and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. At once, he began preaching. You know what's interesting? Saul, the apostle Paul, he wrote 13 letters. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And the letters that he wrote are the first literature that we have in this Christian movement. When he was pinning those letters, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they had not been written out yet. Yeah, there were parables. There were things that Jesus said that were circulating around. But his letters were the first literature that were actually written about Jesus. We never think of it like that because we have the four Gospels. They are right in the beginning of the New Testament. And chronologically, all those events happened first. But Saul immediately started proclaiming Jesus' name. If you're new to this whole Jesus thing, don't think that you have to sit on the sideline until you're ready. If you don't think you're ready, if you don't think you're able to follow Jesus like this, perfect. That's the only prerequisite that he has. Don't think that you need to check these boxes don't think that you need to become a member of this church. Don't think that you need to join a group or read the whole Bible. Don't think that you have to be religious enough. The only qualification is knowing that you're not equipped. And this is not easy. This is really difficult. Saul's life, it didn't get any easier. It didn't get any cleaner. Even when you have this reality that Jesus is God, that Jesus walked this earth, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the grave, that doesn't mean that you don't struggle. Every Christian is a struggling Christian. Jesus, he didn't come with a try harder message. He came with a surrender all message. And Saul surrendered himself to the Lord, made Jesus his foundation, and then let everything else fall into place not the other way around. When you are transformed by the reality of Jesus, that should change your reality. If Jesus is slotted perfectly and nicely and neatly into your life without causing a disturbance or an interruption, then that's not the reality of the gospel of Jesus. Let me give you an example. So we have a six and a half month old daughter. Y'all didn't think I was going to go a whole sermon without mentioning her, right? Uh-huh. And if we said that she fit perfectly into our lives, that we haven't changed our schedule at all, that we have been sleeping the exact same, that our mornings and our evening routines are the exact same, that our sex life is the exact same, that everything was the same, what would you say? That we're liars, Right? Either that or we're terrible parents. <laughs> we're probably both. But anyways, now what if I told you that we are struggling to stay awake at dinner together? That we're going to dinner at 5 o'clock, hitting up Luby's for Luann Platter, right? But just so she can start her bedtime routine. Or that we used to laugh at people that scheduled romantic nights, and now we are scheduling romantic nights. What if I told you that it was a lot harder than we thought? Listen, it's uncomfortable. 
It's painful and it's beautiful. It's hard and it's rewarding. We're pressed but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. And I'm not just talking about parenting. I'm talking about following Jesus. Surrendering to Jesus. Being transformed by the reality of Jesus. Because if your life is the exact same, then Jesus isn't real to you. Look, the struggle is real, and so is Jesus. Things don't get easier with him, they get better. So, are you willing to let Jesus change your path? Listen, what kind of path are you on? Is the path that you're on right now, is it exhausting? Is it unfulfilling? It's because you are doing too much. You are trying to create your own path and you're just spinning your wheels and I get it. But Jesus can change your path. You just have to allow him. You just have to stop creating your own way. Sometimes you have to stop doing anything and everything that you want to do. Let Jesus lead you. Hey, you wanna be a leader? Follow Jesus. Serve others. You want to find the purpose in your life? You want to step into the gifts that God has given you? Follow Jesus and hone in on the gifts that he has already given you. Look at Saul. He was the most zealous of zealots. And what did he do? Instead of going from house to house to persecute Christians, his zealousness didn't change. He did right? And he goes house to house not to persecute Christians, but to encourage them, but to become one of them. Don't convert to a religion. Start following Jesus, but you have to be able to surrender your path. You have to be able to surrender your plans or your motives or your identity and your kingdom in order to follow Jesus. And now I already know what some of you are going to say. All of that sounds great, but I've never experienced anything like that. I've never had God call me by name. Here's what God says. In Isaiah chapter 43, he says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Listen, you are his Okay, but how do you know what path to go down? Well, God has an answer for that one too. And this is Psalm 119. And he says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. God's word will lead you. Jesus will lead you. You just have to pay attention. Read your Bible and pray to God, and I get it. That sounds so cliche coming from me in church. But here's what I mean by that. The whole point in reading your Bible and praying to God and worshiping is to know and to enjoy Jesus, to enjoy him, to find him 
beautiful. And just like Saul, when we know who Jesus is, he will help us see what path to go down. And sometimes he is leading us to the exact same place. He's leading us to the exact same city, to the exact same job, to the exact same spouse, to the exact same place, just with an entirely different mission. And I can promise you that once you've chosen God's path, though, that's when the enemy, he'll start to whisper to you. Say, you can't do that. Look at the way that you were brought up. He'll say, hey, you can't do that. You will never be able to stop that secret sin in your life. Said, you can't be a Christian because how could Jesus ever love you after everything that you've done? And that's when we say the exact same thing that Saul said. And he said, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Jesus thought of us when he transformed Saul. He used his story to show us his overflowing grace, his divine mercy, and his perfect patience to show us that everyone is made with a purpose and a mission that we were created by God for God. So what is your mission? What is your next step? Saul was a driven overachiever, just like us Houston interloopers. And the path that he was chasing, the path that he was on, it was his self-fulfillment, and it was killing his soul. I want you to look at the path that you're on right now. I want you to ask yourself an honest question. If Jesus showed up, if he showed up to you right now, and if he changed your path, or if he changed your mission, what would you do? Would you go down it? And if you're unsure, then ask the God that created you, that loves you, that redeemed you, that calls you by your name, that claimed you as his own. And if you're hesitant or if you're scared or skeptical, then join the club. And Jesus would tell you exactly the same thing that he told Saul. You don't need to wait. You don't need to get yourself ready. You just need to get up and go. We all pray with me. Father, we're so thankful for the transformation that you give us, God, for the path that you are leading us down. God, let us step into that. God, let us faithfully take one step after another so that we can follow you. Jesus, we're tired of following ourselves or our own motives or our own ways. God, let us follow you. Because when we follow you, Jesus, we know that it doesn't get easier, but we know it gets better. Jesus, thank you 
for your sacrifice. Let us live in that. In Jesus' name.